Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6 this morning. As you make your way there, we'll be picking up in verse 27. As you find your way there in Luke chapter 6, allow me to offer a a brief prayer as we come before the Word of God. Father, we ask as we come to your Word in that prayer of old, in the things that we know not that you would teach us, the things that we have not that you would give us, and those things that we are not that you would make us. As we pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. I would start by saying that when God calls you, you go where he sends you. Such was the case for a man who was born in the United Kingdom, when, who God called to pastor a church here in the United States. And for as, as much as we share in similarity between our two countries, we are worlds apart in many respects. Take, for instance, the names that we use to call food by. You may not know this, but what we call French fries, the British call chips. What we call cookies, they call biscuits. And what we call cotton candy, they call candy floss. Can you imagine that? Sounds kind of gross, right? All this to say that if God ever has, will ever call you to the UK, please be sure that you know what you're ordering for lunch, okay? Now, this poor pastor discovered the hard way that aside from the names for food, the culture within the Christian church in America is different too. 
After some time of faithfully ministering the gospel, the pastor from the UK was invited to preach at other churches in his state. And when he arrived at those churches, well, the hospitality of the host church was wonderful. But he discovered that nearly every American pastor he met would ask almost exactly the same question as they each introduced themselves to one another. Might you imagine what that question is, a a question that's common for pastors here in the United States to ask each other when they meet each other or just when they're catching up with each other? Do you have any idea what that question is? The question is this. How many are you running? How many are you running? And that British pastor, he heard this and he says, how many am I running? And the first time he was asked that, he thanked the other pastor for complimenting his obvious jogging regimen. And he had confided in that other pastor how he was up to running a 5K four days a week. But no, the other minister said, I'm asking how many you're running, man. I'm asking how many do you have in attendance on Sunday? And in case you're wondering, for a very long time, that question of how many you're running has been a common, commonplace amongst ministers and congregational leaders in the American church. We, we viewed church health and church success through the lens of church attendance and baptisms and budgets for at least a century. And unlike uh, politicians who ride favorability polls, there's a sense that a pastor gets at least unofficially evaluated by his congregation by these metrics, the, how many people are attending his services, how many has he been baptizing, and how much money comes in during the offering time. We might ask, well, where does this come from? Well, it comes from our American understanding of success in a business or a group. More people, more money, more success. And here's a basic definition of success. Success is the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Well, then we ask, well, what's the aim of the pastor, or or what's the purpose of the church? And we know that after he died and resurrected, before ascending into heaven, Jesus left a purpose, or he left an aim, or if you like, he left a mission for the church. This comes in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said to his disciples, those who he had called to be apostles, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now you can see overhead, I've added some asterisks to to point out to you. Two of the three action words in this verse, okay? They are make and baptizing. This opening verse of what we know to be the Great Commission. And it seems easy enough that if we're going to measure our success, we got to measure everything, if we're going to know that we're actually making an impact, doing good, accomplishing something, well, we would focus on tangible things, right? How many are you running? How many are you baptizing? How big's your budget? And we do that because we believe successful things grow, right? I mean, just can you even imagine the, the growth potential of Amazon? Did you imagine it when they opened? Is there any end in sight? Can you imagine the growth of our great state? Did you know in 2022 there were 470,000 new Texans who came here last year? That's more than any other state in these great United States. And not beyond the awareness of many of us this morning is the fact that our church is growing. Successful things grow. Isn't that what we always say? Yet it occurs to me, do you know what else grows? 
Well, in my front yard, stickers grow. Poison ivy grows. Cancerous tumors grow. Well, I guess in thinking about that in those terms, it's not only successful things that grow, is it? In fact, I wonder this morning, have we focused on the things that Jesus focused on? Or in other words, have we set out our, our, to accomplish what Jesus is aiming for? Now, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 6 and running through the end of chapter 6 is what is commonly referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Different preaching event than the Sermon on the Mount. And we're looking at the middle section of what Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Plain. And I will remind us that as we looked at the introduction of Jesus' message last week, we concluded that the aim of King Jesus is to sit upon the throne of your heart, to rule your life, to, and in his rule as the king of your life, to change the way you think about and the way you look at the world. We call that, or we summarize that in one word. We call this transformation. And a distinctive about Christianity in comparison to all the false religions of the world is that Overcoming our problems and our own nature of sin begins first with admitting that we can't correct any of this in our own power. And secondly, in repenting for what we've done, calling upon Jesus Christ to save us from sin and to save us from the consequences of sin. And when we've done this in genuine faith, we receive God in the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And the Holy Spirit begins a work on your, your inner self to bring about a change from the inside because the root of all that's wrong in, in your life, all that's wrong in my life, and all that's wrong in this world, the root of it all is the human heart. It's our hearts. In fact, about this gospel, let me say this simply. Gospel transformation goes from the inside out. It's an inside-out transformation. And that's altogether different from all the other religions of the world that teach you that you can arrive at ideas like harmony or nirvana or peace from external forces doing a work that goes from the outside in. Incidentally, there's a danger even in a Christian church to fall into the trap that to be Christian means that you just need to keep up your appearances by just acting Christian. You hide your drinking. <laughs> you, you, you dance in your living room, whatever that might be, right? You don't want anyone else to see. You just got to play the part. I want to come back to something I said last week in this service to make this point. We saw Jesus speaking about how in his kingdom, subjects like wealth and comfort and fun and popularity, they're not understood in the same way that they are in the fallen world. And so when I offered an application for the subject of popularity, where it would be a really unpopular thing for Christians to not concede Wednesday nights to our local school districts or practices or banquets or games or other events. Well, I wasn't just adding to a, a rule, a list of rules, so you can give an appearance that if you don't go to those things and you show up to church, that you're just looking like a Christian. I offered that application to call to attention to the fact that a transformed heart may be led to realize that when God's people gather and any one of us are absent, it's the entire body who suffers because we're each individually missed. 
This is what Paul's talking about in the multiple instances he refers to the body of Christ. Imagine you wake up in the morning, you don't have a pinky on your hand or a big toe on your foot. You're going to feel it. It will be missed. That's the same that's true for you and I. When we're not here, when God's people gather, we're missed. And so, to faithfully gather with our brothers and sisters whom we love is to make ourselves an offering. It's a denial of self and a sacrifice of popularity, a sacrifice of the potential praise from our coaches or others. And a transformed heart arrives here because the Holy Spirit has given to us a love for God. And because the Spirit has given us a love for God, He also gives us a love for God's people that should be greater than the love that we even feel for our natural family. I know this is really hard to hear right now. It reminds me of an old adage that says that when the gospels preach, it will comfort the afflicted and it will afflict the comfortable. And if you think that what Jesus had to say about wealth or comfort or fun or popularity is difficult to hear, we need to look at what Jesus says about how a citizen of his kingdom is to relate to others. See, for those with a transformed heart, we're going to be comforted today. But for others of us, What Jesus has to say here is going to hit us like a ton of bricks. So we look at verse 27 again and we see Jesus saying, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Jesus says that those who have been made citizens of his kingdom, or if you like, those who've been genuinely saved, that he begins a work to transform your understanding and to transform your demonstration of love. This transformation includes things like loving those who oppose you. The word love is a complicated word, I know that. We all have our own understanding of that word right now. And I need to to let you know uh, some things about the word love and the, the sense of love that's in the Bible. I'll put up here, there are actually four types or four senses of love in the Bible. And there are they are what's listed. There's storge, philos, eros, and agape. And in explaining these for you, storge is an expression of love that we have for our natural familial relationships. So storge love is what exists between husbands and wives, for example, or or parents and kids, or brothers and sisters, and so on. That's one sense, okay? The other is philos. That's a love that's shared between very good friends. So when we say that there are two guys and and they're in a bromance or there are two women who are inseparable, that's a philos type of love. Thirdly, eros is a a romantic or a sexual love. And inside of, of, of the marriage between one man and one woman, eros is a wonderful gift from God. But outside the boundary of marriage between one man and one woman, eros leads to sexual immorality and lust. My friends, eros will tear apart your life at the seams if you're practicing it, if you're living it outside the God-defined boundary. And finally, this last one, agape, it's a sacrificial love. And anytime the Bible talks about the love that God has for us, it's this kind of love. It's agape love. 
So when the Bible says, like in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love, I'm going to put up some things here for you from 1 John 4, 8 to kind of visualize this. Put the original Greek, I put the literal English translation, then a smoothed out one. What is actually happening is it's, we, we should arrive at this conclusion. God is agape. God is sacrificial love. And in our text this morning, Jesus is saying, agape your enemies. See, a citizen of God's kingdom will love his or her enemies before themselves. And this is radical stuff when you really start to think about it. I mean, we, we ask ourselves, love our enemies? Do good to those who hate me? Bless those who curse me? Pray for those who abuse me? Who is this Jesus guy? Doesn't Jesus know that there are, are people who would bring us great physical harm? Doesn't he know that there are people who would even come and kill us? Doesn't Jesus know that there are people who would only say the worst things about us? Does Jesus really expect us to, to take a punch in the mouth and not put one right back on the other's nose? Does he expect us not to exact our pound of flesh? Does he really just expect us to let those who hate us rob us? Does he? He doesn't. No, Jesus says that when an, an enemy takes such actions against a, 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 kingdom, a kingdom citizen, that when an enemy takes, uh, takes such actions against a Christian, the Christian shouldn't just take that punch or not say anything that, about our, our stuff that's been stolen. No, Jesus says that when we take that punch or when things of ours are being stolen, we should offer our enemies more. Do you see that? Because that's how he goes on to explain verses 27 and 28 and 29 through 30, isn't it? That when you get that punch on the cheek, you give them the other one, give them some more. That when they take your cloak, offer them your tunic, Offer them more. And I know that, that right now you're thinking, all of this is just a show of weakness. If we take that punch and we don't hit back, we're weak. If our possessions are stolen and we just offer more to the thieves, man, that sounds weak. Well, maybe we're thinking right now, who would actually live this out? Doesn't, isn't this, this person who tried to live this out, do, do they not have any pride in themselves? Do, do, do they not have a backbone? Well, my friends, if you follow that line of, of thinking, you miss the fact that all of what Jesus is teaching about is actually flipping our understanding of weakness because in reality, we don't have the foggiest idea of, about what real strength is. See, someone says, well, this kingdom right now that Jesus is, is preaching about, that he's inviting and calling us into, it sounds inept. And that idea comes from an understanding of strength that's rooted in things like a strong economy or a nuclear arsenal or elite military forces. And you know what's funny? I said earlier that the root of all that's wrong in this world and all that's wrong in your lives is the human heart. And I didn't see anyone shake their head in disagreement. And here's the thing. None of the things we commonly understand to be a show of strength can fix what's actually wrong. Bombs don't change hearts for the better. Favorable interest rates don't do that for that matter. And someone else says, 
Well, well, then what does Jesus actually know about this loving your enemies business? That's the question I've been waiting to get to. Because he knows everything about it. What do I mean by that? Jesus knows quite intimately, knows this quite intimately because each one of us, we're born enemies of Jesus Christ. We're enemies of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, how is that? Here's how. Everything that is seen and everything that is unseen belongs to Jesus. It does. Everything at this exact location at 308 West Hondo Avenue. I wish I knew the GPS coordinates. Everything right here. Extending in every imaginable direction to the end of the cosmos. Belongs to Jesus. My friends, that everything includes you. Yet in tension with this fact that you are subject to the king. You're also an enemy of King Jesus. You're an enemy because you've sinned against him. Or if I can say this another way, you have told the king of the cosmos, you don't give a rip about him, and you don't give a lick about what he has to say. Through your thoughts, through your speech, through your actions, you've actually said that you know what's best. So for example, when it comes to you men and looking upon a woman who's not your wife, or you women and looking upon men who's not your husband in the same manner. You know what's best. And what's best is that cheap, sinful thrill of the imagination running wild with passion. Or when it comes to any one of us giving a listening ear to that juicy gossip about another person. The thought of knowing dirt makes our heart race with excitement. And in whatever way, you know what's best for you. And because of that, It's you who claims the throne of your own heart. I know what's best. Forget this Jesus guy. I'm going to do what thrills, what captivates my mind. And you take the throne upon which Jesus is intended to be seated. And see, our, our sin against God is an act of treason against the Most High King. And I don't know if you're familiar with how traitors of the nations of this world are treated, but every last country, every last nation on earth allows for the execution of traitors. And in our treason against Jesus, we too were worthy of death. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. But the beauty of this gospel, my friends, we're arriving at it. That while we are treasonous traitors, rebelling against the king of, and his glorious kingdom, worthy of death because we each have rejected to recognize who Jesus is. That we've rejected God's love. We've rejected this agape love. We have rejected God's sacrificial love. It leads God himself to enter into time, to add to himself humanity, and to take our place as the treasonous traitor to be executed. That's the force of what Paul's telling the church at Rome in chapter 5 and verse 8. That God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My friends, do you know what this is? 
Do you know what it is for Jesus, God himself, to never stop being God and to, and to add to himself humanity, to live in perfect submission as a subject to the king while being king himself? Only then to take my place or to take your place as the accused rebel and die the death that we're owed. My friends, do you know what this is? It's grace. It's mercy. It's, it's getting what we don't deserve. And it's not getting what we do deserve. And what Jesus is teaching here is that in the gospel of Christ's kingdom, those who have been called to salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ have been made citizens of this kingdom because of God's agape, because of God's sacrificial love. And because God agaped us first, because God loved us first, as recipients of his sacrificial love that we do not deserve, we offer to him our agape love by agape loving everyone, even our enemies, even those who hate us, even those who curse us. And I'm not ignorant when I say this to the depth of trauma that may be in this room this morning even those who have abused us. Now, I have to be very brief with the remainder of this text, but I hope that you can each see how the sacrificial love of Jesus then sheds light on what Jesus is preaching here. It's in a great role reversal that we see in verse 31, that as, that as we live out this sacrificial love, that, that as you wish that others would do to you, you do so to them. As a citizen of God's kingdom, we are called to put ourselves in the shoes of not just the people we like, but the people who hate us. Considering them greater than us, and because they are, we love them. And if you've been saved by Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus did for you. And here's this, it's exactly why he saved you. For Jesus to be glorified and for the gospel to be shown forth through you. See, we show everyone grace and we show everyone mercy that they themselves could never earn from us. And we also heap the sacrificial love generously upon them because when we do things like love your enemies and do good and lend, we expect nothing in return. And when we do this, we get the privilege as citizens of God's kingdom to show others how marvelous and strong Jesus is. That though he died, he's alive. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus calls traitors, or if you like, Jesus calls sinners to himself freely because we could never repay the cost involved for the Son of God to die for us. And in calling us to this new life in Christ, Jesus calls us to live an absolutely different life. And that includes showing people God's grace as we ourselves have received it. It also means that our hearts have been changed by God's mercy, causing us to be merciful in how we respond to others. That's what he's getting at in verse 36 through 38. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. My friends, this is what real strength looks like. It's dying to self for the sake of others to glorify our king who's redeemed us. 
It's loving everyone with agape. By the way, I wonder this morning, do you know what the distinguishing mark of being a Christian is? Do you know what it is? Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verse 35, this is a conversation he's having with his his disciples uh, before he goes to the cross. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. By the way, it's agape. Not philos, not eros, not storge. It's agape here too. Saying this another way, everyone can pick a Christian out of a crowd because they're loving other people the way Jesus loves. Loving in a way that, that gives other people what they don't deserve and loving in a way that, that doesn't give people what they do deserve. Friends, in a world like this, that can't be ignored these days, okay? The name of Jesus cannot be forgotten because this kind of love is what true power is. And as his church, as First Baptist Church Divine, when we ask a question like, have we been focusing on the things that Jesus focused on? Have we been setting out to accomplish what Jesus is aiming for? If we have focused on things like attendance or baptisms or budgets, then the answer to this question is absolutely no. And we've missed it all. Sure, numbers mean something, but they're not everything. What we have to realize is that when those things become our focus, we've actually failed to show that we're disciples of Jesus. We actually have failed at the mission that our king has given because in our own way, we want to take some of that glory that he is due for ourselves. He's the one that calls sinners to salvation. He's the one that that enters them into the waters. He's the one who drew you here today, whether you recognize it or not. I don't know the reason why you're here. I'm grateful you are. But you need to know it's the spirit of the living God who brought you here today. Not about me. Nothing about our music. It's Christ. And if we have focused on this, trying to, to take some glory for ourselves, we're missing it all. Do you know what we should be focusing on? Do you know what we should be measuring ourselves by? This question, is our love of and is our love for others increasing? Is it increasing? I don't don't give a lick if we have 500 people in attendance or if we baptized 100 in the last year. It doesn't matter if we don't love. It matters not. And by the way, this isn't love just like you love your family. This isn't a call to love like you might love your friends. Not even in the way that you might tolerate the people that you're sharing a pew with this morning. This is a call to love our enemies. By the way, I don't know if you read this. There's no exception. There's no nuance to this. There's no no like, uh, unless under case A.3, there's none of that. So, for example... A Ukrainian Christian should be loving his Russian enemy in a self-sacrificing way. An Iraqi Christian should be loving her Islamic enemy in a self-sacrificing way. And dare I say this, if this applies for you, with whomever you might believe to be your enemy, be them a person of a different political party than you. Be them an illegal who drove through your fence line this morning or this past week. Be them a person who's confused about their gender or their identity or their sexuality. My friends, as a church family, this is what we have to do. 
we have to each take this agape love that we are partakers of, that we are recipients of, we need to take it from the seat that we're in out to the streets. That's why he gave it to us. Not to be just held here or confined within your person. To be taken out to the streets. Now don't hear this and add it to a list of things that, that you need to do to try harder because you have a basic life principle to be a better Christian, okay? Don't go to whomever your enemy is and say something like, you know, I'm going to love you because I have to. That's not the point of this. It's, it's that what you've heard this morning, if that's what you've heard this morning, then you've missed the entire point. You, we don't have to love others in the same sacrificial, grace-giving, merciful way that Jesus has. We don't have to. We get to. We get to. There's a high school friend of mine uh, whose, whose job with his current employer, uh, when, they, when he got hired with them, his first job with them was digging trenches for natural gas lines. And it's, it was backbreaking work, and it was the entry-level gig for his company. I asked him one day about the work, and he talked about the physical demands a little bit. But what he spoke most about in that conversation was the difference between the two men who oversaw his crew. Now, these two men had the exact same title. They had the exact same amount of pay. They were equal in ranking in the hierarchy of the organization. Nothing the difference in position or title. But one of the guys would stay in the cool of, of the AC of his truck and could not be bothered with the difficulty of work. Pulled up under a mesquite tree. Stayed in the AC, let that diesel run all day. Once in a while, he'd go check on the guys in the hole. He was just there to tell them what to do. The other man was in the, in the hole along with the other laborers. Shovel in his hand, digging right there with them. My friends, when it comes to loving our enemies giving without any expectation of returning, uh, of return, not, not judging, forgiving, doing good. These are all difficult things to do. But Jesus is in the hole with us. In fact, he's the one who started the work, and he's the one who's going to finish it. He knows the cost of loving his enemies, but he doesn't love his enemies because he has to, because he wants to. It's his own character. God is Agape. Jesus takes joy and pleasure in loving his enemies because it is his love that changes everything, including hearts. We aren't alone in this work, and if we, if we open ourselves to it, the Holy Spirit can change our perspectives about others where we can have a joy and pleasure in sacrificially loving our enemies by showing them grace and mercy. And we need to take this love from our seats to the streets. We have to. That's why he saved us. But here's the thing. Before we do for God, before we do anything, but before we do for God, we need to be with God. Do you remember that before Jesus started preaching, he spent the entire night in prayer with his father? As a Christian, you cannot do until you've been with God. So I'm going to ask from a couple of weeks ago, how are you doing on your Sabbath keeping? How are you doing with your practice of solitude with the Father? How are you doing in your prayer life? If you want to truly love your enemies, you can't do that from the, the, the well of your own energy. You need to develop your practice of being with the Father first so that He can fill that cup. And if you've come here today an enemy of God, 
convicted that you've been doing things your own way and this talk of God's love is drawing you, you can repent today. You can be saved. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And though he died, he's alive, raised from the dead, and he's calling you this morning to be raised to new life in him. Raised to a life in his pure and loving light. He wants to transform you. He will transform you. And he will do that from the inside out. Do you believe this? It's the question Jesus asked when he declared that he's the resurrection and the life. He said, do you believe this? Will you surrender to him? Will you follow him? Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.